are listening to the Amodamar podcast. In this series, Amoda explores her essential teaching through conversation and excerpts from interviews and events. To find out more about events and to sign up for her newsletter, go to www.amodamar.com. Please subscribe, comment and share if this podcast moves you. And if you feel called to donate, please go to the website. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. Greetings one and all and welcome back to uh, another podcast with Amoda Ma. My name is Kavi and uh, I am delighted uh, once again to be talking with Amoda. Amoda, hello. Hello, Kavi. Um, So today's... uh, podcast is called In the World But Not of the World, which uh, those of you who, who, who are familiar with Moda's teaching know that she's spoken of this before and I think written about it in one of your books. Is that correct? I do allude to it here right. and there. <laughs> okay, so you haven't spoken to it in a sense directly, although in meetings I know it's come up quite a lot. But uh, then maybe this is an opportunity to, yeah, to unpack and unravel some of some of what this mysterious phrase "in the world but not of the world" might mean. So I'm just going to launch in with a with a, with with something and then hand it over to you. Um, there's a famous uh, biblical phrase attributed to a number of conversations Jesus had with his disciples. Whether he had them or not, we don't really know, but it's certainly attributed therein. It's also often used in modern day metaphysical and spiritual teachings, especially in the course of miracles. And this is the phrase, to be in the world, but not of the world. You, Amoda, also often use this term so let's just start as we we mean to go on what do you mean by this well let's first of all look at a a basic interpretation according to uh, the biblical source Uh, yeah I, i i'm not a uh, theologian, so um, I'm only going to give this a very um, brief overview to to segue into what I mean by this. But my understanding that in 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 the biblical biblical use of the the term is that the world is sinful and that in order for us as human beings to transcend that sin or to be cleansed of that sin, then we must live according to Christian scripture, um, which has a long list of ethics and morals uh, are mostly to do with how we act. Um, And another way that uh, I understand that this term has been interpreted 
biblically or traditionally is that we are not made of this world where we're, we're made in heaven, if you like, or we're made from heaven. Now, there is a truth in that, um, but uh, the implication is that heaven is a better place. And I say place um, <laughs> rather than uh, a state of consciousness. That's how it's been interpreted, perhaps simplistically, that uh, really we're earning our spiritual brownie points by doing good deeds, by acting uh, or conforming to Christian scripture, which is also open to interpretation, um, in order to get back to heaven, which is our true home, uh, heaven being a place where we are rewarded um, by some kind of paradisical state. Um, and sometimes this gets very confused with the idea of endless pleasure or endless bliss or uh, whatever else the, the mind can conjure up. So I think there's a deeper meaning to this, and certainly that the way that I have used this term, which is that in order to really understand the meaning of in the world but not of the world, we need to um, go deeper into the true meaning of the Christ light. We're really not looking at biblical or Christian interpretations here. As many of us know, these have been hijacked and become a kind of threat of punishment or, or, or yeah, punishment reward kind of situation. This idea of... Uh, the, the the right way to live, the right way to act according to Christian scripture has been hijacked um, by many offshoots of, of Christianity, of traditional religion, so can be interpreted in many ways that becomes a kind of uh, punishment reward system and, an, uh, and a perpetuation of the idea that we are sinful um, until some authority, religious authority or God's authority can cleanse us of our sins. And that's usually when we get to heaven, but not in this world. So this is, this is rather a perhaps simplistic or let's say immature understanding, um, and yet one that is very pervasive. So the deeper meaning can really only be known when in in the context of awakening, um, in, in the context of uh, awakening out of the dream of separation, awakening out of the dream that there is a separate me, that there is a world out there and a separate me that um, is... Uh, 
you know, that the world is happening to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so to be in the world, but not of it, um, is really about not deriving our identity from the world of form. Yeah, it's not saying that the world is, the world doesn't exist and that we should either turn away from it or see it as bad, um, but rather that we do not derive our identity from the world. It's obvious that we are made, that we appear as form. You know, our direct experience is that of form, but the error in the unconscious state is that we derive our sense of self from that form, yeah? So the form may be ugly or beautiful or damaged or perfect. It might be successful. It might be uh, a failure. It might be broken. It might be um, all sorts of, yeah, the whole panoply of human um, descriptions of, of the human experience. And so the unconscious state derives its sense of self from its circumstances, whether they're good or bad, lucky or unlucky. Um, it derives its sense of identity from the roles it plays. Yeah, some roles might be very coveted, like being a successful pop star or a politician or somebody with a lot of power. And some roles are less um, welcome. Um, so we go chasing roles or believing ourselves to be the roles that we play, the mother, the father, the, the victim, the whoever it is. And then we also derive our identity from the realm of thoughts, which are always uh, polarized. Yeah, they swing from one pendulum to the other, um, one side of the pendulum to the other. We feel happy, we feel sad, we feel uh, we feel pleasure, we feel pain, uh, and so on and so on. We like, we dislike. And so to be not of the world is to wake up, is to truly awaken out of the false sense of identity, to, to know true nature and to be rooted in that. So this is really the crux of awakening, which in the traditional understanding or putting forward of this beautiful phrase has been completely overlooked. So it doesn't include the understanding of consciousness itself. It's actually pointing to a state of consciousness. To be not of this world is not to 
deny the world. It's not to deny the reality of the human experience, but it's not to derive our sense of identity. In other words, to have woken up out of the dream and to to know, truly know and embody our true nature as the light of consciousness. This is the source. This is what our essential nature is. And to be rooted in that and then still to be in the world, (laughs) which is the other side of the coin. Meaning? Meaning that we do not deny very often, and this is where we perhaps come into the non-dual conversation, that once you have woken up to true nature, once you have recognized and started to embody and to live from true nature as consciousness, the light of beingness, there can be a tendency to then deny the world, to say, I am not the body, the world is an illusion, and so on and so on. And then that becomes spiritual bypassing. So to be in the world is to be truly engaged with the human experience, to deny nothing, to reject nothing, to be fully here and present and live a fully human life. And whilst that is lived, to be rooted in true nature. So that makes the world of difference. Osho called this being Zorba the Buddha. Yeah. So having realized true nature as unshakable consciousness and yet be fully immersed in a shaky world. I call that fully awake and fully human. <laughs> yeah. Fully awake and fully human. Yeah. Is this, can I, can I ask, just to, as you've spoken, uh, actually made me realise on a, or reminded me on a certain level of, of actually even <clears throat> Buddha somehow sitting under the Bodhi tree as the he resolutely sitting there as the delusions or illusions, or waves, or insults of the Maras of deception visited him, which on a certain level of interpretation is the world. Yes. Is that the, that's the same? Well, the Maras, the illusions are... Because that's um, what you're talking about. Yeah, offshoots, yeah, expressions yeah. of the world, yeah. Because, you know, are you talking of, when you, when you say the world, <laughs> what do we mean here by the world? Do we mean the world of desire, the world of, I, I know you mean the world of identification, 
but is it uh, is it the world of form? Is it the pull of of of, of desire? Is it the habit? You know that 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 kind of draws us in to believe that the world is is real and what you're actually suggesting the implicit suggestion is that the world is is whatever we call i want to know what we call the world is not real the, the i think the world can be uh, what we what we mean by the world <clears throat> is everything that is visible everything that we touch everything that we see so everything that appears to be solid yeah the world of form other people the people in our lives the <laughs> objects and things in our lives uh, it includes the earth itself right because it includes uh, yeah, every aspect of the human experience mm. so it includes um the social uh, matrix it includes the political matrix it includes everything that the human being can experience and it includes the thoughts and beliefs that arise from that experience or that inform that experience yeah right so yeah so that's Every, everything that is known. Everything that is known, yeah. uh, seen, <laughs> yeah. experienced. Yeah. Because I read yeah. in the, I read in the in in an extrapolation of the Jesus thing that actually even uh, even to, to to them or to those those people, the world didn't just mean the marketplace down the road. It actually meant the cosmos. It meant the whole thing. It meant the entire picture, the entire experience. So it's from the micro to the macro. Yes, everything that is manifest, let's put it that way. Everything that is manifest, which can be something seemingly solid, like a yeah. tree or a table, <laughs> and every thought and every feeling, those are also manifest yeah, they might not be solid, but they have a certain substance because we believe our thoughts. We believe the tree to exist because we can touch it, we can see it. We believe our thoughts to exist because we they seem to appear in consciousness and they have uh, uh, an impact on our feelings, on our behavior, on our actions. So this is the, the, the manifest world, everything that is manifest, which is the human experience. Now, most people, or the majority of humanity in the unconscious state, yeah, believes that to be the only reality there is. Yeah. And it's only when we start to question in some way, who am I? Where have I come from? Yeah, Is there something more than this? Is there something deeper that we can start to turn inwards? We call that the spiritual path. It may take many directions. 
ultimately it becomes an inquiry into true nature. And perhaps we touch on that and realize that there is a whole dimension of beingness that seems to be the foundation of who we are, the source of love, the source of peace, the source of happiness. And we stop looking so much to the external or to the manifest world, even to our thoughts and feelings, for that sustenance, for that nourishment. And we start to root ourselves in formlessness, the inner sanctuary of silence, of openness, of emptiness. And this is where we come to the part that is not about rejecting the manifest world. Right. But, right. It's about seeing that the manifest world is an outpouring from the unmanifest. So that everything is included, we actually start to see the world differently where we see ugliness, where we see sinfulness, where we see, mm. yeah, rejection or denial, we start to see through it. We start to see beyond it. Is this where you, where you is this where uh, the notion of judgment collapses? Yes, and where forgiveness Yeah, begins. I was going to say forgiveness <laughs> then. Well, when judgment collapses, presumably, in a sense, although the, the forgiveness on the level that you're talking about, that's where forgiveness is, because when judgment collapses, there's only the innate recognition of, of one, if you like. Yes. It's the individuality, Jesus, isn't it? It it's, is. Jesus yeah. also said... Um, the kingdom of heaven is already here, but you do not have eyes to see or something along those lines, yeah? So the kingdom of heaven, which is usually uh, dangled as a carrot in the future, usually when we're no longer alive <laughs> in mortal bodies, yeah, and we, we might get to heaven if we've been good, yeah, living according to Christian scripture and so on. Yeah, yeah. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is already here. What did he mean by that? He meant that the inner light, the inner dimension of consciousness, which is true nature, is already available to you. You already are that. You simply have to look within, deep within and come to recognize that okay so so the 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 problem with with this is uh, just I, I don't know whether this is directly the way the conversation wants to go but you know the problem with that is that you know to this mind to me those words you know that are attributed to Jesus are are words that are spoken from direct experience and there's a vast difference between direct experience and belief. 
Yeah, belief is has a tendency to still be rooted in division. Yeah, I believe this to be true, and all those who don't believe this to be true are somehow the opposite or different. And so that the, you know, this this creates a whole panoply of problems where what you're talking about is the need to experience what is said in the world, but not of the world, as direct experience, not as a belief system. This is not a belief system that you're talking about, right? Yes, of course. And that's what the whole um, (laughs) uh, invitation to deep inner inquiry is about yeah. Right. So this is a conversation that's not just about in what the subject matter is. This is actually a conversation about what inquiry really means. Yeah. Where it goes, how it exists and what it does and where it's directing itself. Yeah. Because yes. that's important to get what inquiry really is, because Absolutely. it's a very it's 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 it, it's a very powerful process and it's a very actually on a certain level to the self it's a very destructive process but it's a fundamentally necessary process because otherwise you take what you've been saying or all these other phrases and we'll turn them into beliefs and actually there are a lot of non-dualists or you know uh, spiritual paths that actually have only really turned them into beliefs and beliefs as we know are liable to change but direct experience doesn't change so this is a conversation about inquiry. Yes, inquiry that leads to a fundamental transformation of consciousness or a fundamental shift in consciousness. So the phrase itself is, is in some ways irrelevant. It's simply mm. a pointer, sometimes used in that way because it says a lot. And sometimes, it does say a lot, yeah. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, said in, in different ways. I mean, one of the things that I've encountered so much is the seeming uh, split or division between the human experience and the recognition of true nature. So there is often a, you know, even, even in the recognition of true nature through inquiry or through the process of awakening, there is still a kind of disillusionment with the, with the fact, the bare, the bare reality, the bare bones, that still the human experience goes on. Still the world is here. And how to reconcile that. So that's when I can almost use this <laughs> phrase, be in the world, be fully in the world. You don't have to run away to a cave. You don't have to hide away uh, in spiritual retreat. You don't have to turn away from the world. You can be fully in it, but not of it. That's in, in some ways, that's the, that's the, um, uh, the litmus test, yeah. 
Yes, I, I know. That. <laughs> there, is, there are many stories of the litmus test. There's a story of a litmus test, quick story of a, of a, of a, a you know, a devotee in India who had sat for a, for ten years in a, in, a, in a cave and had experienced the vastness of enlightenment, and then his visa ran out, and he had to go to the visa office in India. And uh, as the as he got to one cubicle, so it shut, and then he went to the other one, becoming increasingly frustrated and infuriated. He went to another cubicle, and true Indian terms, the cubicles closed just as you arrive at them because it's a karmic, you know, experience that's happening. And he burst into a, such a fury that the ten years of enlightened, you know, had had just sort of evaporated uh, there and then. So this is what you're talking about, right? Yes. <laughs> well, when you go home to visit your parents, yes, exactly. <laughs> your well, awakening evaporates. Yeah. And and but you know more more than that, it's it's the kind of disillusionment. You know, yeah. it's like the expectation that that there's this fundamental shift in consciousness, and still there is what can be experienced as a difficult world or a painful world, or we just look and there there are still problems, if you like, in the world. Um, and there's a tendency to want to either shut that away, turn away from it, live in a cocoon, live in a cave, um, or be very disillusioned with even awakening if it hasn't made any difference. But the thing is, it does make a difference if it's real, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, it does make a difference because you stop looking through the eyes of the ego mind. Yeah, you start to look and see from the eyes of the heart and the eyes of the heart sees beyond and through the suffering and the duality of the world, the polarity. It stops making uh, such a heavy judgment on it. It stops rejecting anything so that even uh, pain and challenge is all welcomed into the light of consciousness. And there's a certain lightness of being that comes with that. It's not a denial. It's not a just you know, kind of avoidance, it truly transforms the way that we see. And that changes our experience from one of a a rigid set of beliefs that we impose upon the world or upon our lives or upon our experience. This shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be like this. And so on and so on to a wide open acceptance and it's from that acceptance that we can take right action. It's also, you know, it's like if we look at the phrase Zorba the Buddha, which I love, it's so uh, it's yeah, so it's, much more modern or contemporary, if you like. It's very sexy. <laughs> but to be a Zorba is to truly enjoy life, to to be total. Yeah. It's not that there's something spiritual and something unspiritual. The whole idea of this, um, you know, kind of holier than thou spirituality collapses. So you, you immerse yourself fully, you're engaged in the world, uh, you know, from the, from the mundane to the transcendent, it's all included. If you're total, everything 
is transmuted into love. Yeah, but you're also rooted in Buddha nature. Yeah, which means you're not identified with uh, uh, the the gains or the losses, the pleasures or the pains that come as part of the human experience. You're not identified with them. So mm. it becomes light. You can play, you can dance lightly within the Leela. So, so, uh, 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 so because the, you know, the tendency of all these uh, uh, dualistic minds that we have, yeah, is, is, is to say, oh, I, I, I get the phrase in the world, but not of the world. I understand that phrase. And so sometimes I'm in the world, but actually, you know, I'm not of the world. So then I'll leave the world and then I'll be not of the world. And to actually almost, you see what I'm saying, to split it up into, into segments, into sections. One minute I'm this, or, or, or to have it, you know, to, to continue the polarizing habits and tendencies that we have and to bring them into the, the deepest spiritual journey. And I hear very much what you're saying is, is no, 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 no. To be that at the, exactly the same time, to be in the world fully and to be not of the world fully at the same time. Yes. Totally. It's, yeah. it's, yes. It's the greatest paradox. Yeah. It's the paradox and the paradox blows the mind. It cannot be understood. It's like a koan. Yeah, but it can be known. Yeah, it can be known Maybe. when yeah, awakening sorry. is fully embodied, when it's filtered into your life, when it's genuine, when it's authentic, when all, when all resistance. But uh, and, has, and and yeah. and so until now, I'm going to get. I'm, I've always been needling you for this until that time. Yeah, not to dangle the carrot because because sometimes one hears that and thinks, oh well, you know, she knows what she's talking about, but I'm far away from that and I can't do a damn thing. So I might as well just give up and, you know, whatever. Yeah, slightly disillusioned. So until the time that uh, you know that 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 kind of real uh, uh clarity of awakeness happens, because a lot of people have 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 experiences now that suggest that or taste it a little taste of it here a little taste of it there what can be done with regards this phrase yeah particularly with regards with this phrase as we're talking about it to the deepest inquiry does the world have a function even on the journey that we're seeking to awaken on what function does the world, this supposed world, have? Or do we have to mm. hang out in, on our own until we get some awakening and then we can go and do what you're talking about? Or does is the world useful? That's a good question. Uh, the world is the catalyst for awakening. Yeah, it's a powerful... This just goes ever, it goes round and round in ever increasing weird circles. <laughs> we're always in a maze, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's it's a catalyst because every experience that you have is a satsang. Life itself is the satsang. Life itself is the guru, is the teacher. The world or our experience of the world, yeah, because there isn't an independent world. There is only our experience yeah. of so the world. So we're talking about experience. Yeah, is a mirror. 
is a mirror to where we uh, operate from an inner divided state or where we operate from wholeness. So everything that we experience reflects that back to us and therefore is a potent doorway to the end of division. In every experience where division arises, inner judgment, lack of forgiveness, uh, incredible suffering, yeah, suffering comes from resistance to what is. Uh, psychological yeah Yeah. triggers and so on yeah every one of those very painful difficult unwelcome um uh, reactive uh human experiences is a potent doorway if in that moment we recognize the the grip of the ego self, the grip of ego mind that says this shouldn't be happening, therefore I will reject it. This shouldn't be happening to me, therefore I am identified with being a victim and so on, what we might call an inner clenched fist. Yeah, It's felt and in that moment is the opportunity to simply stop. To surrender. relax, to, sur- to surrender, surrender that mechanism. To relax, yes. And this obviously is not a one-time key. <laughs> it's an ongoing journey. And that's what we do. That's what we do in the teaching. That's what we do in, in, in the inquiry, is we listen to uh, people's experiences of mm-hmm. their yes. own lives and so on, and this problem and that problem and this difficult emotional experience and so on and so on. And we gently reflect that back and invite the possibility of that surrender in that moment. And when that is pointed to over and over and over again, when it's invited in, it starts to be recognized. There's something in the in the individual, in the human being, that on a deep level yearns for that deep inner surrender. And in in yeah, in being invited into that over and over again, in this way and that way and this way and that way, it's like the call, the deep longing of the of the 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 beingness to recognize itself in itself. It starts to come more to the foreground and becomes more available. That's what we call inquiry. That's what we call uh, the journey, the inner journey of transformation, and so on and so on. Yeah. So, yes, I, I, I get that. So, if this the, the phrase in the world, but not of the world becomes the becomes the invitation to 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 i mean that's a it's an it's an amazing thing to hear but it's completely a, a, a mind mess mind screw yeah which is a good thing but it points to the fact that every experience is 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 the invitation to ask the fundamental inquiry question who am i or, or even where am I? <laughs> am I in the world or, or am I not of in the world? You know. Yes. Well, it's the same. I mean, you could take the phrase fully awake and fully human. And that brings up the 
sort of uh, conundrum of, well, how can you be fully awake and fully human? Because to be fully human is mostly interpreted as being caught up in the reactivity of self, Mm. to be lost in thought. It seems Mm -hmm. to be a very human experience, to be very reactive, to be emotionally entangled, to be... Uh, whatever it might be yeah? yeah um and so how can you be fully awake and fully human but what, what what's being said here is that being fully awake whilst having a fully human experience transforms the human experience yeah yes <laughs> to be fully human is not to be lost in thought to be lost in thought is to be an automaton, <laughs> yeah. Right. If you like, to be fully human is to be awake. It's a very natural state. It's to be present. It's to be open. It's to listen. It's to be rooted in one's inner sovereignty and authority. It's to know your innate wholeness. This is our natural birthright. That's being fully human. What we are as uh, the unconscious human state is a kind of Mm. automated, conditioned state. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So being fully awake in the human experience, because you can't deny that you have a body, you can't deny that you're still in the world, doing things, operating in the world, relating to the world, to other people, and so on and so on. Yeah, even if you're secluded or solitary, you're still having a human experience. Right. Um, so, so being fully awake just completely transforms uh, the, the sort of mm. ground of being from which mm. you operate. Mm. So, and, and, and so, you know, just to add to that, because the... the um, on the spiritual path, uh, the realization comes quite quickly that the human experience is full of pain, uh, fear, tragedy. Yeah, the en- endless wheel of delusion, and so it it it's almost like the tendency or the desire is to actually get rid of the human experience. That's that's you know, part of this. And I know there are some parts of the radical non-dual, you know, scene who, 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 who also wish to deny the human experience, but that's not where, where this teaching, that's not where you go with this because yours is a very inclusive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not to seek to uh, turn away from the human experience. That's what you're saying. Is this, this, this is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It is what I'm saying. At the same time, this is where it becomes paradoxical. At the same time, it transforms the human experience. It it, it remains human. It's still an ordinary experience. You still have uh, the usual, depending on what life you live, but, you know, you, you, you still have to cross the road. You still have to buy your food. You still have to, yeah, whatever it is that you do, sweep the floor or, you know, it's that old thing of, you know, uh, chop wood carry water it's it's it still goes on yeah but and perhaps the waves of uh, uh, 
feelings that hadn't been met before. There might still be fear. There might still be irritation. There might be some, uh, inevitably, there's physical pain at some point or other. Um, But something fundamentally changes. And uh, whilst everything is included and allowed and embraced and fully met and welcomed, as awakening, the light of awakening filters into right. the human experience more and more, fear is no longer a driver. Fear is seen to be an illusion of the mind. Yeah. Suffering is no longer suffering. Yeah. There's no victim in it. Yeah. The problem with suffering is it becomes very <laughs> uh, challenging, painful, hellish, because there is still a victim identity in it. You can experience suffering. You know, maybe your dog dies, your husband dies, your mother dies, your leg gets amputated. But in awakeness, when you know true nature, it is less likely to become something that gets wrapped up the circumstance doesn't get wrapped up or hooked into any sense of the victim identity because you are not rooted in the ego identities you are rooted in consciousness so the experience is felt as it is it might be agonizing it might be of course there'll be grief or there'll be pain but it doesn't hook into a self-identity and that's what's different so there's freedom there's freedom from self there's freedom from the scaffolding that's created as me as a victim or me as a victor me as lucky me as unlucky me as punished by God or life, me as rewarded by God or life, it, it stops being a punishment reward system. Mm. So, and uh, uh, it's actually the inevitable consequence of the collapse of the idea of the separate self. Yes, this stops I mean, being because the, the protective, the 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 let the protective us. You know, the one who seeks to protect what we imagine ourselves to be is the end of that. But that does involve a lot of heart opening and uh, deep inquiry and willingness to to face all sorts of yes. collapses. All, all, all protective layers or defended layers, layers of um, psychological constructs, yeah, mind emotion-based constructs that serve to create a barricade against bad things happening, against pain being experienced, against loss, against tragedy, against brokenness, all those defended psychological constructs which end up as a subtle or not-so-subtle rejection Uh, avoidance 
running away from, shrinking back from, hiding from, attempting to control, attempting to overpower, attempting to fix. All these subtle strategies that come from that self-erected barricade come tumbling down. That's essentially awakening out of the dream of separation. So you're wide open because openness is who you are. And yet you're fully present. You're not running away. You're not running towards. And it's absolutely okay. It's absolutely okay. In that openness, in that presence, it's absolutely okay. And and it... it just to put people's minds at rest in a way, it neither turns you into a blob of acquiescence nor turns you into a detached or cold, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, spiritually aloof human being, right? Right, neither of those. It actually makes you fully alive. This is where Zorba the Buddha comes in. You're fully alive. You're fully responsive, yeah? You're fully um, well alive is the best way. You, 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 you respond to the situation from a place of inner intelligence. You respond to the situation from a place of love. That may mean that you take action or you don't take action, but it's not reactive. Right. Well, it's again, responsive. that's the yeah, that's the 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 end of the reactive self. That's what you just said a few minutes ago. Really, the protective yeah. mechanism is, is 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 that, isn't it? It's the reactive self, of course. You know, so it's the end of that. Excellent. <laughs> it's freedom. Yeah, There's that's what meant by it. freedom. It's yeah. not freedom from the world. It's freedom in the world. Mm. <laughs> this is this is the 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 core. It's the element of the inquiry, really, that 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 captures me. And uh, very good. I I'm I'm thinking that we've certainly for this round of the conversation, we've actually come to a natural cessation. Do, do, does that feel true for you, or, or do you need to dive in a bit more? No, that feels pretty good to me. Yeah. Okay, Moda. I think it's time to do the washing up and take the dog for a walk. Such are the joys of the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, friends, um, thank you so much for listening to our, our meanderings. We do hope that they've served in some sort of purpose to uh, confuse, enlighten, inspire, amuse, and uh, and otherwise just, yeah, uh, entertain or something like that. Um, please like these podcasts if you can, if you can find somewhere to like them and uh, share them with anybody who you dare to share them with. And um, we'll see you again in probably a couple of weeks. I don't know what the next podcast is. Amoda, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and uh, and uh, this very, very interesting, um, very juicy subject matter. Yeah. Thank you, Kavi. Always a delight. It's always a delight speaking with you. I must admit, it's very beautiful. Okay, see you soon. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.